Pecco Bagnaia is dominant at Portimao. Jack Miller is back on the podium to help Ducati clinch the Constructors' Championship and Fabio Quattararo falls off his bike for the first time this year showing how consistent he's been in his championship year. All this and more in the latest MotoGP installment of the Racing Line podcast. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Racing Line podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking MotoGP with Harry and Joe. MotoGP? What are you talking about? We're doing NASCARs. <laughs> You're a dickhead. We're going to be talking about MotoGP, and we have our resident MotoGP expert away tonight with tonsillitis. So there'll be no Michael giving his in-depth insight to this weekend's race. Miss um, you, Mike. <laughs> we do miss you, Michael. He talks about MotoGP with such passion. It's, it's going to be missed. It's going to be hard because we just talk about it, you know, the cold hard facts and, and you know, mm-hmm. we need we need that um, expert opinion. But with all I will that say, being, I will say there will be a lot less Miller hate on this one. Oh, there might be a little bit of Miller hate. Can, can I say, can I, I say Miller, Miller gets a podium and the guy runs away, you can't hack it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if, for those of you who are, or are not aware, we've just had the penultimate race of the championship um, out in uh, the Algarve in Portugal at Portimao. Um, Bagnaia took the victory, um, followed by Mir. It was a pretty comfortable victory for Bagnaia. And then Jack Miller finished in third, closely followed by um, Alex Marquez. That would have been a, a fairly interesting end to the race, but we lost the final two laps due to a fall between the two KTMs of Miguel Oliveira and Ika Lakawona. If you haven't seen that crash, you might want to jump on YouTube and have a look. Uh, pretty silly from, from Lakawona. Nasty. Nasty, 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 nasty. And, and it's pretty lucky that both drivers or both riders um, seemed pretty unscathed after that particular altercation. The race was uh, an interesting race. It was definitely not the, uh, the most entertaining race that we've ever seen, but I think the... The, the, the interest in this race probably stemmed from third all the way through to seventh. seventh. It was um, the Mexican Bag- Grand Prix of motorbikes. It was. It. Bagnaia was fairly Her. comfortable. Me um, had a had a very good qualifying position and start to this race. Uh, and we kind of were able to see what he can do from the front, um, you know, even if he wasn't able to, to match Bagnaia's pace. Uh, in third, we had Miller, uh, who, who, who had, a, had a really strong race. Um, particularly considering his recent form. And he was pushed for the second half of the race by Alex Marquez all the way. Definitely the best the best race for the LCR rider all season. Um, and then there was an interesting race going on between um, Zarco, Martin, um, Fabio Quadraro, who fell with a couple of laps to go. And then also Paul Espargro had a fairly strong showing for, for Honda as well. So that second half of the, of the top 10, um, was was quite interesting. There were there were changes. There was you know a lot of um, tight tight racing, which was great to see. Um, but how did you guys see the race and, and kind of what were your biggest takeaways from it? I thought it was a um, in for use of a better word, relatively boring race. Not in terms of like it was it was dead boring, but it was um, Peko ran away with it, and he was he he was the word I love is metronomic because he was just bang. He was he was the most Jorge Lorenzo race I've seen since Jorge Lorenzo has not won a race. Um, 
and me had a had a probably his best showing for the year as well. Uh, quali- I can't believe he's never qualified on the front row before. Hmm. It's, it's it's um considering he's a world champion. Uh, Miller had a great race. Um, you said he needed to have one, and he did. He's had a he's had a quite a few good qualifyings in a row, and he hasn't put it together in the race. So it was a good return to form, considering that um, now Ducati have won the championship. Um, and I feel like the uh, the other weird thing from that race was that it has shown how far KTM have fallen. That was the biggest takeaway that I have from that race because what last year they had they ran away with the win. At yep. Portimao, and this year, what the f- the first bike was eighth or ninth, or maybe even tenth. Been, they would have been they would have been tenth and eleventh with um or oh, ninth and tenth. I think Binder ended up coming tenth, but it was uh, only because Lacoana crashed into Oliveira. So there was, I think, ninth, tenth, and eleventh going into the second. That, last was, that, that was my thought. It was it was relatively boring, but looking into the race, like as like a measuring stick, you, you can definitely see. Um, which teams had made ground and which teams definitely had, had probably um, it showed which teams have had a relatively lackluster season. H, as someone still fairly new to the whole sport, what were your biggest takeaways and, um, you know, biggest thoughts after that race? Yeah, look, I think um, Bagnaya, he looked on a different level, even compared to Quattararo, um into the, in the race this morning or last night, the rate he was able to pull out that lead over the, over the rest of the, the pack was was awesome. I also loved the bikes on this track. You know, I've obviously seen it in, in F1, but it just looked awesome. You know, that that pit straight where it dips down at the end uh, for the right-hander, they, they looked amazing coming over the top of that hill. Um, definitely feel, wait. Yeah. Must feel like a roller coaster for those guys, eh? It looks like it on a bike. Yeah, I, th- I think Miller posted that. Um, on his social pages this weekend, Miller was getting some decent, decent airtime um, over that over that bump. Stop that's for sure. Yeah, stopping. He was actually jumping the um, jumping pump as well. He thought he was at Nikwin. <laughs> I um, I also feel it was a better spectacle. You know that these bikes on the track compared to the ones I've watched at Silverstone, Austria, Coda, um, and even Masano last week. So that was. You know, a thing that I took away from the race, but also disappointment was, um, I know he crashed out, but Quattararo, um, being the new world champion um, and considering Yamaha second in the constructors, he didn't seem to have any pace um, throughout the race. As a, as a newbie to the, you know, was it due to the track layout and the bike not favoring the track or was it just he's tapped out now that he's won the championship? Like I, I found it really surprising considering how far ahead the Ducatis were. I definitely don't think he's tapped out, and and um, the Ducatis are um, always good at that track. Uh, recently, they always had pace there. I think it just showed that when when your bike's not on, how hard it is actually to move through the field just on talent. Especially like we've seen this over the last two years, how hard it is actually to just move through the field, and you can lose so much time so quickly when you get stuck behind someone. Um, if I Collaborating on that a little bit further, something that was mentioned in the commentary and then I was kind of thinking about it today as well. Uh, and it's kind of been a little bit of the history of Yamaha recently. Yes, they've definitely improved the bike this year. Quattararo has been super consistent and that, and we can't say enough about 
you know, the fact that he's gone 17 races without falling off the bike. And that's obviously why he was able to tie up the championship so early. Um, but when we think about Maverick Vinales, when he was performing really well in the Yamaha, a lot of his race wins were when he started at the front and was able to get a lead and gap the field. Previously with Lorenzo, he used to win in the same way. Um, and this year, it's been fairly similar for Quattararo. He's been able to qualify really well, get to the front early and stay in the front. What we have seen is that when he doesn't start from the front, um, that Yamaha, for whatever reason, struggles to make its way through the field. I think part of that is obviously the fact that the competition between Ducati, Suzuki and Honda is converging. Like they, they're all you know pushing each other up. So that makes it a little bit harder. But that Yamaha, for whatever reason, over the last couple of years, yes, it's improved, but it struggles to, to make its way through the field. And I think its advantage as a bike is probably the fact that it is so rideable. Um, and when you're in the lead, you know, you can capitalize on that and do some really consistent lap times. But when you need to push to create some advantage on, for example, a Ducati, um, and when we see the, the all four Ducatis performing so well, um, when you need to push and when you need to kind of get out of your comfort zone and get off the racing line to make something happen, um, that bike struggles to, to make its way through the field. I, I have a bit of a hypothetical. If we know Peko crashed out in the last race, which gave Cotoraro the, the championship, if he didn't crash out and wins this race, does Cotoraro take away the championship this year or does it go to a, or does it go to Bagnaya? I think if. Quateraro doesn't win the championship yet last week because Peko stays crashed. on. He won't crash today. I think he, he settles knowing that it's not his day because mm-hmm. uh, he's still got the cha- uh, you know a fairly strong championship lead. That's my takeaway from it. Yep. Fair enough. I just thought I thought it was interesting that he won the championship last week when Peko was in front of him. Mm. And then again today, he was in front like he was dominant. Well, this yeah. is actually something that I was thinking about, about the second half of the MotoGP season. And I think what we actually lost this year, and it might have been to Quadraro's advantage, is a really good season with Bagnaia and Marquez. Because I think the last five or six races have shown that it's actually Bagnaia and Marquez that are really, you know, racing each other hard and racing each other well. And we saw it in Aragon. We saw it um, Oda. Oda. We saw it a race between there as well. I can't remember which one it was. Masano, one and two. Masano. Um, one and but, two. But if, you know, I would love to have seen um, those two having more of a chance. I mean, it took Bagnaya a little bit to, to warm up to the team this season, I think. Uh, and that can't be understated. He's definitely taken the leadership position of the team and he looks so comfortable on the bike. Um, which is awesome. I think Marquez has had a fairly similar season, probably with more lows at the beginning of the year because um, of obviously he's come back to injury. But I think that's actually been the standout to me Marquez, for the later part of this season. Marquez was never racing for the championship. So I think that's why the start of the season he felt so much. Yeah. So and, that's, and that's the difference. And I think he was also in a situation where he wasn't fit enough. So he thought, whatever happens, mm-hmm. if I fall off, I'm not really, mm-hmm. it's not, I'm not going to lose anything because, you know, I might as well try to pull a gap and, and then you conserve energy. But going into next season, with those two bikes performing as and, and riders performing as well as they are, if they are qualifying on the front row with Quattararo, 
then it might be a lot more competitive season because, you know, Quadrari does struggle a little bit to pass, you know, bikes that are outperforming his for, for whatever reason. That's probably actually the, the bigger takeaway from the second half of the season for me. I think the, I think like this race, the, the championship was done this race. So, so to find enjoyment in it, yeah, so I, I enjoyed looking at like at larger picture things. And I, I do think that the biggest, biggest problem with um, Yamaha, and I've said it probably what in the last two podcasts is this, the inconsistency in their rider stable. There's no one really um, like helping push the development or even just at least pushing the other rider. I mean, Maverick's a great rider and he wins on days where he's feeling good, but he's, he's never been, you know, Mr. Consistent. And I think this week showed that when Quattararo finally falls, because you're always going to fall, um, there was literally no one there to pick up anything for Yamaha, like anything. And, and I know Frankie's still sore and injured or, and they're saying that, but I mean, when you've got five Ducatis in the top 10 and three of them are satellite, and then your, um, I think your Yamaha's are 17th, 16th, and maybe 13th. I mean, in terms of, Looking into the future, I feel that's a that's just a massive problem. Yeah, I, I yeah, agree. With that. That's something I noticed too. Obviously, being new to the sport, and you're looking at the constructors' championship, you got Ducati, then you got Yamaha, and the the highest Yamaha throughout most of the race was Quattararo in seventh or something. I just thought, what's going on here? You know, that doesn't happen in other motorsport. So, yeah, he's getting he's getting no. He, well, he's it has been a tumultuous year for for Yamaha in terms of the whole Maverick thing, but still Maverick gave them 106 points, which is a decent haul, but it's not, it's not enough for uh, a team trying to win the a constructors championship. Um, I mean, one thing actually talking about the race that I was really happy with, I couldn't, I was really happy with the performance of Alex Marquez. Mm. Um, like he, we know he's a good, good rider. He's a world champion, but I just didn't see him taking the fight that hard um, to the to not that not that because it was Miller just to the to the top um, to a top three position. Like I just didn't see that. Do you reckon he would have taken Miller? I reckon he would have taken him on that last lap. The it's interesting because the the Ducati has so much more power. Like there's so many times you see it just take off from the Honda, but he did have the harder rear tire on, so he definitely had a bit more in the tank in terms of would have been interesting. I think we were robbed of a good ending. That's 100%. We, I agree. Before we, like, this is probably a good segue. I feel like they give, I feel like they give Alex Marquez his brother's bike whenever his brother's missing. <laughs> That's what actually I was going to talk about. So at the start of the week, and we'll, yeah, mate. let's have a bit of time talking about Honda. So at the start of the week, we were kind of salivating of the, over the prospect of Mark Marquez racing at Portimao and then coming up against Bagnaya, and that was really what we were talking about off-air quite a lot. Late in the week, he pull, he has to pull out due to a concussion. And then we get to the race. Yeah, you know, interesting. But we get to the race, and then um, no one can really, you know, take it to Bagnaya. Were we robbed of another Bagnaya-Marquez Classic this week, potentially? Because we saw Honda on as a whole performing quite, quite well. And with Alex Marquez challenging for the top three it's safe to say that mark marquez would have been pushing for the win had nakagami go he was nowhere 
eleventh, I think. And Paul was ninth or something. Paul was sixth. Sixth, okay. Yeah. Um. I mean, I I'm I'm gonna say this right now. I don't know if anyone had anything for back this week. Um. Well, me was only three bad. seconds behind him. Yeah, but three seconds in in MotoGP these days is a lot. Yeah, no, but five, you would assume that Marquez would be. Five that's close, but this, you know, it's nothing. You would assume that Marquez would have been closer than that. That's the point I'm trying to make there. You, you would, but like you saying, th- he was only three seconds from first to what seventeenth. The, the bikes you finished, there was only twenty-seven seconds. So three seconds is one is what one tenth of that. That's that's heaps between seventeen. Yeah, bikes. but the point I'm trying to make is Marquez. Would have been closer than what me. We'll was never know. We'll thinking. never know. He doesn't like right-handed corners, does he? I don't think Marquez gives a crap what he's racing, mate. He just chases. We'll never know. I don't. I don't like those kind of hypotheticals. I just think this was the this weekend was all about Bagnaya. Even even his pole position lap was was mm. was the was like Miller said an awesome lap, and you just knew that it was going to get broken, mm. and it wasn't even close. It was it was really one it was one tenth. I think it was that's, two that's, tenths by the end no, of it. Wasn't, it wasn't. I think it was like one point zero. Because Miller set a faster lap as well. But um. Well, can I just nah. can I just put a pin in the in the Ducati conversation for a second? Because we I do want to go there, but before we do go there, let's just stay on. We're having the conversation in our last MotoGP podcast about um, whether Honda had made genuine gains um, over the course of the season. And as I was watching this race, that was probably the biggest thing that I was taking away from. And it was probably a good thing that Marquez wasn't there just to see how the rest of the stable performed. Alex Marquez had his best race of the of the, um, yes. of the year by far. Debatable whether he would have got on the podium or not, but regardless, um, he was really strong. Paul Espargaro uh, was, you know, with Quattararo, Zarco and Martin for the whole race. Uh, and the fact that he was closing in on them uh, and staying with them was actually, you know, a very pleasant surprise for me. I don't think, I don't think the bike is really fast enough to get past Ducatis at that particular track, so that wasn't an issue for me. But the fact that he was staying with them um, was really good. And I think it, you know, I made the point last week that Honda has definitely improved this year, um, and I think that definitely has to be the case uh, when Brattle jumps on the bike and is faster than you know, some of the, the Yamahas straight away. And I think he was faster than Nakagami as well. Um, that, that, that's voting really well for, for Honda going into 2022. And then also just to see that they've got, you know, people on the satellite bikes that, you know, as the bike does improve, they can start taking it to, to the likes of the Ducati satellite teams, because I think that's really one of the key benefits for Ducati right now is that, They've got their riders at the front and then behind them, they've got their satellite team and no one can get past them. And if you can't get past them, then you can't really challenge for the... They're actually re-gunning for the Ducati team if we're talking about what we do in um, F1. But so how did you see that um, from a Honda perspective today, Joe or, or, and Harry? And, and um, you know, do you have any other takeaways or insights from that? Much, much to probably people's surprise, or not people's surprise, your surprise or Michael's surprise. Is I still love seeing Honda doing well. I mean, I think the sport needs Honda to do well because they're the biggest name in, in motorcycle racing. Um, I, I honestly do believe, though, that the reason that Honda are doing better is because their riders have stopped binning bikes. Like, you, can't, you, don't, get any, you don't get any 
information if you've been in if you're bidding bikes practice 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 qualifying race like you, you can't make inroads and i don't know if it's because they've made a better bike or because the riders have stopped bidding their bikes and they can get a bit of data either one um the last four races or maybe even five races you you've we've seen not just marquez get close to the top but the the rest of them come up and at the start of the year i would have said that honda was worse than the ktm um and probably even the aprilia it is definitely better than both them bikes now. 100 like just as a as an overall bike and even probably it's probably better than the suzuki in the hands of market 100 but for the rest of them um like it's definitely definitely risen in the pecking order of favorable bikes yeah i think we also need to probably take better bikes than the yamaha in terms of on average or quarter on the yamaha just echoing what we said last week as well i think that the fact that marquez is back on the bike and can give some direction for how to set the bike up track like i mean you got to think alex marquez has only been on the bike this is only his second year um you've got Polis Biagra, who's new to the team as well, and Nakagami, who's got no confidence. So the fact that they've got Marquez back, who can at least give some baseline direction for how to set up the bike, um, you know, for each race meeting uh, has helped to improve. But I think the biggest thing or the biggest takeaway was the fact that he wasn't there and the team still performed, you know, really well, which was great to see. Um, all right, so let's Let move hit, on. I'm going to hit you quickly. Yeah. Actually, no, we'll do this a bit later. So I keep moving. Yeah. So the next point was obviously the Ducati conversation. Um, Miller came third. He did really well. I think that uh, Agnaya by now has really cemented himself as the front-running rider on the team. I think just objectively that has to be the case, and it definitely wasn't the case to start the season. He was definitely coming in as the number two rider. Um, what does Miller have to do to regain that that thing or do you think he can regain it going into 2022 or Bagnai is just better because because realistically he was the guy that was supposed to be fighting for the championship and Bagnaya has been you know the the rider that looks like he's got the consistency to win a championship that's that's something i've noticed watching the races that i've that i've watched miller seems to struggle for pace compared to Bagnaya. um you know, and, and one of my questions was, do you think this similar similar theme, do you think it's going to be a theme moving forward um, from here on in for, for Ducati? Or is it just this specific bike that Miller's struggling to ride compared to Bagnaya? Well, I think I, I think Bagnaya is a that's, I'm going to put this out there. I think Bagnaya is a more consistent and a quicker rider. I think even last year, he showed a lot of flashes of... Um, but I don't, I don't think Miller has to do anything more than what he's done this year, as long as he cleans up a few of these crashes. Because, let's put it this way, they're the, they're the team's champions. He's done enough to get that team the team's championship, and Ducati also the constructors' championship. He's got two wins this year. I mean, in terms of a second rider, I mean, what more can what more can you do? I mean, I think- other than not bending your bike as much as he has, but realistically, pulling up the statistics. 165 points and he's fourth in the championship that's a pretty good showing yeah, on your yeah. first year in a new team yeah I, I listen i get that and that's it, it like we have to take into consideration that it is his first year on the factory team you know we, it's easy for us to forget that but i think 
you know, we've spoken a lot about the depth of talent that Ducati have behind their, their top two riders. Um, you know, and I don't know if you've got the stats there for how many times he's fallen this season. Well, all I can tell you is, is that he's the second ranked Ducati on this list. And um, but he's also, he's riding for the factory team. And when you've got people like Martin and Bastanini behind him, um, who are doing a lot, they seem to be doing a lot better on less machinery. And by better, I mean by what they're expected to be doing. Um, is there some pressure that will be on him next year to perform at an even higher level? I still, I think next year he still needs to be in second, at least the second best ranked Ducati, 100%. But, um, I mean, in terms of what he's done this year, he hasn't had a great year, but he definitely has. He's probably still, he's probably had his best year in MotoGP still in terms of how many points he's got. He's got two wins, got a few podiums. He's, um, I mean, but for um, Pecco's amazing qualifying sessions, he'd have a few poles as well, to be honest. I mean, he set a few lap records that have been broken seconds after by his teammate. Yeah, I don't know. And, and he's and he's well liked. He's not a he's not a dick in the team. Like the team respect him, and he and he's he's not he doesn't cause any problems. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this right now. If in the trajectory that that bike that this team is heading, he doesn't. He's probably he probably won't be world champion if Pecco is next to him. But he'll nag if he wins, and it'll be a good. It'll be an awesome rider for the team, and he might even get it if he some something together. He might get it get something but I mean I don't know what more he could you could ask for him to be honest I mean other than don't bin the bike as much I think that's probably been the biggest problem with his season this year I think that um, and that's probably been the biggest thing that makes his season look so much worse than Bagnai because how do you stay on the bike in some of those situations that championship's a lot closer and we want to see Australian champion, and obviously he just might not be as fast as Pecco on that bike. Um, but I think, you know, consistency oh. is probably where he has to start. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll, we'll find out in 2022. Um, I'll just say this as well. Like, if, if we're, we're super critical of him because he's the only Aussie in the sport and, and, we, and we want our sportsmen to be doing well because he's the only one in the sport. But, I mean... There's only one Frenchman, one Italian, and one Spanish in front of him. So he's still, um, like, it's not like he's doing a bad job. No, it's definitely not. But, like, when you, the point I was trying to make was he was touted to be the number one rider for Ducati, right? And, you know, that everyone was saying yeah, it. it I, don't, I don't think he was, to be honest, because he only got a one-year contract and Pecco got a two-year contract. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's what I'm saying. Well, the next point that I wanted to raise anyway, obviously the season's winding down and it's more, you know, we're doing a lot of reflecting now as opposed to, you know, thinking about what the next race holds. But you made the point earlier that um, KTM has really struggled this year. And I think they really have. I think from in a qualifying point of view, they have been nowhere. In a race spec, Binder's kind of always pulling it out from 18th to, you know, 8th in the last three or four laps, which is insane earlier in this in the season we spoke about how the fact that they lost a lot of their um you know concessions might have impacted them we saw a similar thing with um suzuki with suzuki after 
you know, their second season in the sport, they kind of struggled as well. Um, but when we think about the state of the manufacturers in the sport, and we think about uh, KTM in particular, you know, what, what, are your, what are your overall feelings? I mean, we've seen, well, we spoke about today, Yamaha not being probably as competitive as we expected. I think Ducati by far at this particular stage are the bike to be on. And I think the fact that the satellite team is able to perform so close to the factory team. Satellite team. They're a factory team. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> the, fact that they, the fact that they are performing so close to the, the you know, Ducati factory team, you know, speaks volumes for how much they've developed that bike. But where do you see Honda in the mix? Where do you see Suzuki? Uh, I think we saw a step up for Suzuki in particular today. Um, you know, hopefully they're able, that squat device that they've put on the bike now um, helps to improve their qualifying positions because we can see, we see where Mir can finish up uh, when, when he's qualifying well. But, you know, what is your overall takeaway on the manufacturer um, kind of hierarchy right now in MotoGP? Do you have, an, do you have anything for this, Harry, mate? No, look, boys, I'm still learning. So at the moment, I see Ducati as the – well, from what I'm seeing, Ducati is the quickest bike. Um, obviously, Quattararo is the most consistent rider. But, again, after today, I, I don't know how he's won the championship. Um, obviously, really good qualifying. Um, he hasn't crashed at, till today. And that too, yep. And Marquez, you know, the last five races or so has been on fire. So – they're the three that I'm kind of looking at for next year. But, you know, obviously I'm still learning the sport, so don't take my you, word as gospel. How are, how are you enjoying it? That's a, probably a good question. Um, yeah, look, it's good. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with the, the length of the race. It's really quick, mm. um, you know, 21 or 22 laps or whatever it is. Um, also, the, for me, look, you know, being new to the sport, I don't see the strategy coming into play as much it's kind of i think this know. has been a bad year to yeah. get into the sport but like okay. last year would have been a much better year to get into the sport yeah last year was 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 wild um but yeah like this year has been quarter and then people chasing for a lot of it mm. and and yeah like i the strategy like i you know they have tire choice and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I've noticed there is a bit of tire preservation and all that kind of stuff going on. But other than that, there's not much, you know, um, compared to formula one, I guess, but you know, I'm enjoying it. It's, um, you know, the, the wheel to wheel racing is awesome. You know, they get really close to each other and, but I'm still, still learning all the, all the different rules and all that kind of thing. So enjoying it so far. Going back to what we were talking about before Joe and the, and the hierarchy of it, do you have any, any takeaways? I've got too much. I'll be here all night. Um, <laughs> Let's try to try to be succinct. I'll try and be succinct. All right. So I think everyone knows that the general consensus is that the Ducati is the best bike, and it and and realistically, it probably is the best. Um, I still, having said that, there is still definitely work to be done on that bike because I think one thing everyone for, not forgets, but no one mentions it, is that that bike is so much quicker than the other bikes. Um, but I think it, it's um, its quickness makes it also harder for it to stop. And I think in terms of their um, 
their tire preservation, the actual putting down of the power rips up that the rear tire easier if you're not careful. And I think the um the ex the extra speed puts braking on the front um puts more pressure on the braking, which then can also rip up the front tire. Um, is is so that think- why they've gone? hards on miller's bike before in the past when we've i i i I, I definitely um not there has to be tire um tire preservation problems bike yeah because they're the only team that does these weird things when they put double hards on the bike or both like and unexplainable except if you've got tire preservation problems and that's Mm -hmm. even going back for years it's not just this year um so yeah that so there's definitely work to be done on that bike but in, in general it is Probably the, I don't know if it's the most rider-friendly bike, because um, it definitely does spit you off a few times as well. But you would you want to be pretty under- ergonomic that bike. Yeah, it's it's it definitely like as I, as I'm showing as I was looking on on my little graph before. Like you've got three of your the three of the top five are Ducatis, and they're all relatively close. Um, so kudos to them. And and you know what? I'll sing like this as well today. If you invest as much money in actual um in your 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 team factory support putting riders on factory contracts helping out your um your, your satellite, satellite, teams. satellite teams kudos to you you know like you, you actually are, you're reaping the rewards of actually being a um, doing it the right way and All then right. um give me your hot take then on suzuki right now need a satellite team yeah i was thinking the same thing this weekend they, they haven't got enough bikes because yep. um I, I, that's I think that's all that's all I can say. They've got, yeah, they don't have enough data. They've got two, they've got two good riders, and they always seem to be chasing the eight ball. You saw it at the start of the year when they would always have to come to Q one, both bike. You know what I mean? Get a satellite team. Like yeah. that's the longest. And 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 this, I think the the interesting thing is that there are a few teams out there who would probably happy to be their satellite team. What teams do you act like? So from 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 your point of view, what teams would be the ideal satellite teams for Suzuki? Just in relation to being established, and I would have got I would have got Grissini because they do a good job with everything they do. Really, I think. Well, in, that's interesting because Grissini is leaving Aprilia at the end of this season. They're going to Ducati there, but I think that's a that's just a that's a um of Fabio Giantonio. Yeah, I just think it's, it's a missed opportunity. Um, and even like having said that, you would have thought that Grissini. Like I think that's the same thing with Aprilia, but I think they're a bit, they're a bit, um, they've got a ways to go more than Suzuki in their GP journey, and I can see them getting one maybe the year after next. But I honestly just believe Suzuki get a satellite team. Like, that's it in terms of um, what's up, Harry? Is that like a feeder team? Yeah, so it's like a you, you can give a team they they have factory support, they run factory bike. Just get more data from them. Just too. get more data. Like if yeah. you think about next year, I think Ducati might have five or six factory bikes on the grid. That's five or six um, data traces that you don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I was I was literally thinking the same thing earlier in the week. Um, and and I think last year it's interesting because because this is another point that's probably up for a good discussion. But I think last year Suzuki got a little bit. They overestimated how well they perform. They performed. They obviously didn't have Marquez, and a lot of the people they were racing against were falling. And me had a super consistent year. He didn't quite qualify in the front row once. I'm not saying he's not a great rider because he's proven that he's really quick. 
but I think they overestimated how good that bike was. And they didn't realize that once Honda got their act together, when Marquez came back, once Yamaha improved their bike a little bit more as well, Ducati improved. They put riders that, you know, were staying on the bike longer, but also they kind of got a bit more corner speed and they did. I don't think they really reacted as well. Um, so I think, I think next year for Suzuki is huge. Um, but at the same time, I was also thinking until they get four people riding that bike and they can try some new things on, on, on some of those feeder bikes or give them a part, try this. What do you think until that happens and they get a little bit more information, they're always going to be on the back foot. So I think that's a, that's a really good point. Think about now, how much how much quicker they could have got on top of their their whole squat, their whole um squat and what's it called, yeah the um old shot device if they could run different variations on different bikes. And, and you spoke about Aprilia as well, saying they're not at the same level, but they kind of are getting to a similar point now. they what we've seen from Aprilia this year is that they Aprilia need two riders. They need two consistent riders, and that's what they they're going to have next. They do need that and they've got that, but I think they can also probably um, alleviate some of the issues that Suzuki is facing now if they get into the satellite team a little bit or the satellite game a little bit earlier than Suzuki yeah. has. And I think that for them, um, it's been awesome to see how much they've developed. I think they need, firstly, a, um, a top-tier test rider, which they don't have. So that needs to happen. KTM had Pedrosa. Uh, we saw what that did to the team last year. Um, Yamaha have Lorenzo again. And Crutchlow. Crutchlow. Honda have Brattle, who's been doing good things all along. Really, you need that rider. Now, whether it's Dovi moving Dovi's forward. Yamaha now. Yeah, I know, I know that's that's going to be a problem, but they need to find someone that can do that job for them. I think that the satellite. I don't. I don't think they. I don't think they. Um. They need. They need that. Uh, a, a crazy test drive. Like I think Lorenzo Salvadori is a is a decent test driver. You see that Ducati have uh, Michele Piro, and he's done an awesome job for for many years now. Like, a, but the good thing about Piro is that he knows Ducati bikes like the back of his hand. He has been their test rider for ten years. Do you know what I mean? Like what yeah. they get from him in relation to setting up the bike and being able to relate to you know, pieces of technology and information from years past as well. You know, a lot of a lot of other teams don't have. Um, so I don't know. I think Aprilia need, you know, a test rider that's pretty current to, to the MotoGP field. You know, obviously it's not going to be someone like Petrucci, but for example, if they could get someone like that, we had some experience. Imagine I if they could get Rossi, school. someone like Rossi. Uh, I think Rossi, Rossi's too washed up now. Um, test ride. I don't know. He's just, I think he's done. He's going to focus on his team. Would he do it though? Like after all these years, would he become a test rider? It would be good for them. Like to have someone with that kind of information. But then I think they need, I don't know. I think Petrucci could be a really good test rider for Aprilia, but I think yeah, that's where yeah. they're at. Um, they, need a, they need a strong test rider. And I think they need, they can probably get into satellite game. Maybe the, the year after the, next. The, big, uh, the biggest reason of the whole satellite thing that, that no one, really brings up is that there's you just don't have enough time to test anymore mm. like that that is the biggest reason for needing a satellite team you, you need to just get as much value as you can on the weekends mm. um and the satellite and satellite but there's enough teams. there's enough good teams out there like in the satellite game that you you should be able to find one and i think there's been too many missed opportunities this year by teams and 
Ducati have apparently have a really well priced um, offering. So um, I think the satellite bikes is actually becoming like the arms race in yeah. MotoGP to develop a more successful team. KTM got in it very early. And we can talk about KTM now because I think they have also been a six, like the fact that they were so successful last year probably made them a little bit more confident than what they needed to be. I think um, Oliveira has been pushing, probably pushing a little bit too hard to make something happen with the bike, but um, you know, they probably need a little bit more development because I think they were doing really well when a lot of teams were struggling but now that a lot of those established teams have kind of been able to push their way and, and, and refine their concepts, um, they've kind of, I don't know if they've lost their way or if they just haven't developed at the same rate as say your Hondas and your Yamahas this year. So well, they, start, they started, they started well, two things. Number one, their whole thing last year was we're going to have four factory bikes on the grid. Mm. And we've seen with Honda and um, also with Ducati, that's what you need to have. That's a prerequisite for success. I, I, I believe that now. And this year, they, they, they you know, I think it was with development, that their original bike was a dud and they had to redesign the whole swing arm um, for that bike. And they just didn't have enough time to develop um, or to build for, for factory bike um, while they were developing at the same time. Having said that, I think they had the same problem this year that Honda had at the start of the year. With too many riders were just dropping bikes. You weren't, be able, you weren't able to get the data. Um, next year's going to be interesting for them because they've got two rookies. That's, I think that's going to be their, their hardest uh, or the biggest thing to overcome is that you can't expect much from rookies next year. But like, even like we're talking about Bagnaya this year, he was, he was dropping bikes left, right and centre last year, even though he was showing a lot of promise. So... They need someone like Martin, someone who's performed like Martin this year, really. And I think just to bring up the Moto2 Championship, I don't think they could have got two better riders to be taking or well, to be filling up got, those seats. Because they've got, they've got one lightning rod and one probably uh, much mature, like taking a much uh, more mature path to MotoGP. It, it I think we undersold yeah, Remy Gardner a bit last week because he came out. You and Michael, Michael, you and Michael definitely did because he did. He he had such a fantastic race. I think we undersold him a little bit, and he's proved us wrong. And I think Michael Aussie just hate. hates. Yeah, I think Michael just hates any Aussie rider. To be honest, <laughs> no, I think I, I I think I feel like we undersold. Um, Remy, not Remy Gardner. I think we undersold consist and and how big how big how big a role it plays in terms of becoming a champion. I think they've got two studs, to be honest with you, though. And hundred percent, hundred percent. And just to finish off the night, because we'll kind of leave it there now. But um, Yamaha, with Yamaha in the situation that they're in, I think Honda to a little bit of an extent as well. Um, you've got teams like KTM and Ducati that are absolutely stacked in relation to young talent, um, and then we've got you know the established teams like. Well, yeah, Honda, as long as Honda have Marquez, they're going to be a force. Um, Yamaha do have um, Morbidelli and, and Cordero, who are both really good as well. Um, but that depth of talent behind them uh, isn't really there. And we've been talking about the satellite bikes being so important now to, to development, to getting data. 
Um, and that's hopefully something that we'll see in 2022 that, that you know, and I think it's awesome for, just to finish, I think it's awesome for MotoGP to have satellite bikes and satellite riders um, that are mixing it with the big boys because that's really what, what gives this competition the depth that it has. But with all of that, oh, we've just lost Joey. I think, and with all of that being said, I think that's probably a good place to leave it there, H. We have MotoGP one race to go in a fortnight, fortnight's time um, at uh, Valencia. Uh, we'll finish the season there. We can do a little bit of a, review, a little bit of a review to finish the season and to look into 2022. But again, thanks so much to everyone for listening. Um, please like and follow us on our socials, Facebook and Instagram. Harry puts a lot of effort into creating engaging content for the fans. So uh, give it a like. And most importantly, uh, please keep sharing um, this platform with you know people that you think might be interested as well. So thanks so much, Harry. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. Uh, even, even though you're not here, hope you get better, Michael, from your tonsillitis. <laughs> and um, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next week with... Um, the race review from uh, Brazil, the F1 race in Brazil. So have a great night. Bye.